Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and Kala teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls. Your hosts for today are Sarah Lowenthal and Rifki Boyarski. Today, we will be speaking with Chai Chin about the beauty of mikvah how all women can access this mitzvah comfortably, and how mikvah challenges can be overcome. Now, Chai Chin is the development coordinator at Yeshiva of Greater Washington. That's her day job. But in her spare time, she is a college teacher that specializes in remarriages, a dating coach, and the mikvah coordinator in Silver Spring, Maryland. Chai, we are excited and thrilled and honored that you have agreed to speak with us today. And we'd like to start off with asking you to share your story with our listeners. Can you tell us where you grew up, uh, what you do now, and how you got involved in mikveh education? Thank you very much, Sarah, and thank you, Rifki. It's an honor and pleasure for me as well to be on this podcast, and I listened to a couple of other of the podcasts, and I was quite amazed, and you're doing this great service for the Jewish community. So um, I grew up in Montreal, Canada. I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, Like Sarah said, I have four jobs, part-time jobs, Um, and I... The one I'm happiest about, honestly, is the mikvah director um, and attendant job. I'm also an attendant, actually. I've been one for many years. Um, I also love college teaching and dating coaching. And um, how I got involved in mikvah education, well, being a mikvah attendant and being a mikvah director automatically gets me involved in the education. And I feel very passionately that women should be excited about this mitzvah and that women should think it's easy and simple and doable. So I feel strongly about that. I love that. I think that's so important. Um, hi, I know that some of our listeners are going to want to know like which, not not just which Derek you're, you're teaching according to, but like who you're endorsing Rav is and hashkafically what you're in line with. So if we can just address that and get that off the bat and then. Sure. Um, great question. So my endorsing Rav is one of my local Rabbanim. I'm just not going to give his name because I live in a small community and there's sort of no need to, I think, there's no need to give his name, but he is a Rav I ask all my personal questions to, um, not only Nida questions, but any other halachic questions. And he's one of the main Rabbanim in this community. Um, however, I'm in touch on a regular basis with most of the major Rabbanim in my community because if I have to ask women questions, if I have to ask Rabbanim questions, I should say, I 
consult with these Rabbanim. So I'll typically call the Rav of a woman who has a Shaila if she doesn't want to call herself. So all the local Rabbanim know me well. It's a relatively small community and we're basically on the same page. I live in a community that is a combination of modern Orthodox um, all the way to very right-wing yeshivish and everything in between. So we have all kinds of flavors here, which is great. Okay. So I actually met um, Chai, well, we met via WhatsApp um, on a Kala teacher chat, and we really connected. One of the things that Chai presented to the Kala teachers recently was a Hafifa presentation. So Chai, can you give us a little bit of background to how you came up with that presentation and what was your motivation? I know we spoke about it, but share with everyone. Absolutely. So for the last 16 years, I've been an attendant at our local mikvah, and I'd been noticing more and more how many women struggle unnecessarily with hafifa. Hafifa is preparation for immersion. So women either tell me or I see tremendous stress right away in their body language. Sometimes as soon as they walk into the building, I see the stress on them. Um, This past summer, when our Robin Nyman Mikvah Education Fund was starting to plan the content for our next events. We, we do these events every two months, women's issues, all kinds of different events. We were trying to think about what our next what event was going to be about. And I said, you know what, let's do an event about Hafifa and mostly to dispel the myths and myth- misconceptions that women have about this mitzvah. And the idea took off and I started doing my presentation. I started working on it and just Calling from my information from all these years of things that I've seen women do at the mikvah that I know are not halacha, halachically necessitated, but that women just think they have to do and just makes them stressed out. And because I feel so passionately that it should be simple and not complicated and not stress inducing, um, I worked on this presentation incorporating all of those items so we can be very clear about what has to be done and what doesn't have to be done. And the event was very successful, I should say. And um, it was a live event. We had 235 women on it. And then afterwards, what I did is I sort of made a short version of my presentation, like a three-page PDF. And whoever wanted it, um, I, we emailed it to them and then this sort of went viral in the college teacher chats and people were calling me from all over saying, can you please email it to me, which I was super happy to do. And that's what happened. Yeah, I've seen it. It's amazing. It's fabulous and comprehensive. I, I might add that it's super comprehensive. So it hits a lot of the high points that women are routinely coming either to their college teacher or to the Balaniot and asking them. Yes. And thank and- you. And Chai, that your Hafifa presentation sort of gave us the idea um, to, that led to this conversation today. So it's it's uh, growing wings, and it, I think that it, it was a, such an important conversation. And you mentioned how you have these four jobs, and you have a day job, and these are all your side jobs. But for me, it sounds like your mikvah is really the center of your life, and what you do for mikvah in your free time, and how you think about it. So out of the box is so important for from women all over the world. Can you share with our listeners some of the feedback that you got from the presentation? Absolutely. Um, The feedback was incredible. I did not expect feedback like that. 
Um, we had over 90 women take the post-survey event, which is huge. So I actually want to read to you one response that I got that was the most incredible response. Um, and I'm quoting, I would like to extend my appreciation to all involved in coordinating and presenting. The webinar was extremely beneficial to me. I had a lot of anxiety and stress on mikvah night for many years due to many of the reasons Chai addressed. I would return from the mikvah so stressed from the process, intimacy was the last thing I was interested in. This week, after hearing the presentation, my preparation was totally different. I did not feel stressed and went to the mikvah calm and relaxed. I am so grateful and hope to partake in more of your events in the future. Many, many thanks. So this was incredible to me because, I mean, other responses were not about an actual change, but a lot, a lot of gratitude about clarification of the process, which was super necessary. Um, but here's a woman who texted me a couple of days after the presentation saying she went to the mikvah and there was a change. Now, honestly, I didn't share anything brilliant or earth shattering. All I did was go through the entire process and make very clear what halacha says we have to do, pointing out all the things many women, many things that women do that have no basis in halacha and are completely unnecessary. So I knew my presentation was clear and organized and comprehensive, but I really didn't realize what an impact it was gonna have. Um, so clearly the struggle with hafifa is even more prevalent than I initially thought. And this also, by the way, um, changed now the way I'm going to teach Hafifa to Kalas. So besides for teaching Kalas, these are the things we do. I'm actually going to say, and these are the things we don't do. So even though it seems funny to like put a bug in people's head and say, and this is what we do, but also don't think that we have to do this, but it's necessary because a lot of these women, when I say to them, is there a reason you do these things? Like, did your college teacher teach that to you? And they think and they say, no, I don't know. They just have this idea from somewhere that these are things that they have to do, even though no one ever told them to do it. So now I'm changing the way I'm teaching and proactively saying, don't do these things that you may think you have to do. I love that. And I think that as college teachers, we are like, if we're not constantly adapting and changing, uh, we kind of like lose touch almost. And it's so important to constantly grow. And I know like we have a college teacher who we're both friends with and she like within our community, she teaches and she tells me all the time, you know, the teachers that I, the students that I taught 10 years ago are getting like, got a totally different lesson than what I'm doing now. Obviously halacha hasn't changed, but we have changed, right? We have developed and therefore what we're giving over in conjunction with the halacha's changes. And I think that's so powerful for Kalas to understand that we are always changing also, and we're trying to do our best going forward, which is such a powerful thing. Um, going back to like, absolutely. I just want to, I just want to, if you don't mind, just sure. interject here. Exactly what you're saying is super important and not just college teachers, but any teachers have to constantly be learning and really and really learning and connecting with other people in the same field. You hear people's ideas like Rifki. I've heard so many things from you on the college teacher chat that I've never thought of. And people will say to me, like, you said something and that resonated with me and we pick up things from each other. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's great. I'm going to incorporate it into my teaching. I take out my Google Doc and I just quickly write a note. And then when I have a chance, I'm going to organize it and put it where it belongs. Because why are we expected to think of everything ourselves, right? So we can use other people's wisdom and continuing to learn is a very, very important point that you made. So thank you for bringing that up. 
Of course, there's a Hasidic saying that says Kfar Shamati Klipa and loosely translated, it's like, I already heard, so that's Klipa. But like, I already heard Klipa, like I heard that before, but if you put the apostrophe there, it says something different. It says Kfar Shamati, saying I've already heard Klipa. is Klipa, is something that you shouldn't even be saying because you can rehear the same story 10 times and each time, if you're truly listening, not just hearing, you're hearing more nuance and more depth, which is exactly, exactly. what you just said. Um, one of the things about Khafifa that I tell my students is if it's taking you more than an hour and a half, please call me. Like it should not take you that long. Like we said a half hour, an hour, but like if you're going an hour and a half plus, and I've heard like people call me up who I didn't teach or who are like, Oh, you know, it takes us all day. Like it's three hours. Like, I think that those type of anxiety, that type of like attention to minutia that may not have to be there and that stress level is what you address. So can we talk about some of the um, things that you did address in your workshop that are barriers to women in, in the Khafifa process? Sure. So you mentioned uh, people who take a very long time to prepare. So honestly, I don't even say an hour and a half because I know people are doing this properly. So I say an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes. And I'm careful when I'm teaching a Kala to say, in the beginning, this is going to take you a little bit longer. But within six months, nine months, a year, you should be shaving off some of that time. This is a new process for you. You've never done this before. So that's understandable. But I don't even say an hour and a half because you have to realize if you say an hour and a half, people are going to add more time onto that, especially women who have some kind of tendency towards OCD, even if they don't actually have clinical OCD, or if they um, if they have like a little bit of micro related anxiety. So I just say an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes. So in terms of uh, some of the challenges that women may face when going to the mikvah, so there are a lot of challenges, but here are some of the most common ones. So um, number one, what you were just talking about is um, women who have OCD or mikvah related anxiety. So that is a big challenge. And it's a big challenge for a lot more women than we would think. Um, and that's an area of great difficulty. There's also different levels of OCD and anxiety. So some people have like clinically diagnosed OCD or anxiety. Um, some women just have tendencies. Some women have anxiety only related to mikvah and not in other areas of their lives. So if someone has real clinical OCD or real anxiety, I really urge them to get help. Not, not everybody who has that is getting help. And probably it spills over, I imagine, to other areas of your life as well. So um, I always say it's not a mitzvah to struggle um, doing mitzvahs. So in Yiddishkeit, we had, there is a lot of minutia in terms of mitzvahs. So if you have OCD or anxiety, I urge you to get help. And um, so you can live your life in a normal and stress-free way or as stress-free as possible. By so the way, I just need to interrupt because it's so beautiful to hear the saying where it's not a mitzvah to struggle to do a mitzvah. I think that that needs to be like blown up and put on a lot of our walls because we naturally, you know, tend to be martyrs and we think it's important to have, be meister nefesh and for it to be hard. Maybe that's ingrained within us. Right. 
Thank you for saying that. But that's, yeah, that's not a thing. Not a um, thing. Actually, we're supposed to do mitzvahs with happiness. Mm-hmm. So that's Ivdulas Hashem B'Simcha. I was going to say that, but then there are women who don't have clinical um, OCD and don't have clinical anxiety, but they're still stressed about this mitzvah. And to those women, I would say, make sure you know the halachas, make sure you know what you need to be doing. Go back to your kala teacher and say, can you review with me what I have to do and what I don't have to do? Sometimes you heard things when you were a kala and you just forget about relearning or reviewing and you just keep doing the same thing for many years and you get stuck in this rut and you may have wrong information. I'm going to give you the most commonly misunderstood thing. Just going to give you an example. So a lot of times women at the mikvah, they come, they, you know, they're coming out of their room, they're coming into the mikvah room and I hear this big sigh and they'll say, my hair. So that's like a big thing, the hair. So I'll usually say, okay, first you title, first immerse. And then if you want, when you're out of the water and you're dressed back in your robe, tell me what's going on with your hair. So I know I can write this script. I know exactly what's going to happen. I can say my part and I can say the woman's part. And this happens probably once a night that I'm there, or like maybe once in two nights that I'm there. I just had this actually this Sunday night. Um, so I said to the woman, the same thing when you're up in your robe, if you, when you're back up out of the water in your robe, if you want, you could tell me what you're doing with your hair. Cause I may be able to help you. Uh, so she comes up the stairs and I say, so how are you doing your hair? So typically these women will say, I comb my hair and then I check the brush or the comb. And if there's any hair in there, I take it out. I remove it with my hands and then I comb again. And then I look at the comb and then I see if there's more hair came out. So I pull out the hair again and I do it again and again until I see no more hair has come out in my comb. So I'll say to the woman, I knew you were going to say that. And I, I, I make it funny and I laugh and I smile. And I said, so this is something that I don't know where women got this from. I said, did your college teacher teach you that you have to do that? And usually the women will say no. And so I, I laugh and I make this joke and I say, so I have this theory that the night before women go to the mikvah, a malach comes to them in the middle of their sleep and like whispers in their ear, you got to keep combing all your hair until no more hair comes out in your comb. I said, that's the only explanation that I have. And they laugh. Like I try to make it funny. And then I say to them, okay, here's the deal. You ready? All you have to do is take out the knots. So you comb once around. If you want, you can comb the second time around, but just no knots. That's it. That whole thing about no more hair coming out in your comb or your brush, because there can't be loose hair floating around your head is just not a thing at all. The most common, uh, the most common reaction I get to that is, oh my goodness, this is life-changing. Seriously, this is life-changing. And sometimes I see the women the next month and they say to me, my goodness, you don't know what what happened. Like this took me two minutes as opposed to 20 minutes. Some women are spending 20 minutes, 20 minutes just combing their hair. So that's like the most common one and the most stressful one for women. So in this kind of example, if a woman would call her college teacher or her rub and say, it takes me 20 minutes to comb my hair, this doesn't sound right. Hopefully somebody would say to her, yeah, you're not doing this properly. You're, you're doing something that's completely unnecessary. 
So um, that's my thing with the hair. But that's just one example of why women have to recheck and review what they originally learned and make sure that they understood it properly the first time around. I just want to um, bring us back one point, if if possible, Hai. Sure. Um, we mentioned OCD kind of in passing, and I just want to be very clear that if somebody is having any compulsions or obsessions regarding mikvah, it's not something that was is really within the scope of what we're discussing here. It's something that's much more nuanced and much more specific because I know the colors that I've dealt with OCD, each one needs something different. Um, and that is put together with a conjunction of a professional and your spiritual professional, which is your Rav. And they come together with a plan regarding mikvah because mikvah um, is something that sometimes does bring out people's OCD tendencies. Um, but that is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about regular women with regular mikvah anxiety, with regular misconceptions. And, and a lot of the things like, I know where it's kind of become trendy to like blame the Kala teacher, but like when I was start, first started teaching, and I don't know if I've actually mentioned this, this here, cause I say this a lot. Um, I actually reached out to a Rav who I had heard something from. And I was like, I can't believe you told this to the Kala. Like, this doesn't make sense. Can you explain it to me? Well, I, I, maybe I didn't say, I can't believe you told us, but you know, like that was my feeling. And he told me, you know, I didn't say that. And he re-said what he said. And I totally heard how she heard what she wanted to hear within the words. So sometimes we, he, like I can teach the same thing to four different colleagues and then I'll have one colleague say, really, you told me that? And the other three heard it, but she didn't, or like she heard it differently. So I think that there's a place for saying like our college teachers teach it the halakha, right? We assume they're all certified. They all have an endorsing rub, et cetera. Um, and if they don't find a better one, there are fabulous people. Um, but like, it's not all because they were taught incorrectly. And it's not all because they don't know the halakha. Sometimes they were taught correctly and heard something differently. And sometimes there's an actual issue that has to be resolved professionally, which is totally not what we're talking about here. Right. Right. Thank you for saying that. Yes, it's important to understand for college teachers to understand that when they hear something from somebody, it doesn't mean that the college teacher, another college teacher taught it improperly. It's very possible and very probable that the college heard it incorrectly, like in this case of the hair thing, right? I don't think anybody, any college teacher would say that, but somehow women are hearing this. And yes, what you said about the OCD, absolutely. There has to be an entire plan for this. And But I'm just saying in the hair example for, right? Most of the women who are doing this combing and combing the hair are not women with anxiety. Somehow they just think that this is what they have to do. But yes, you have a very, very valid point about that. Rifki, um, Rifki maybe we should start like insisting that all Kala teachers use the textbook. And um, so a lot of Kala teachers do. Um, I have a textbook, well, that I use as a textbook that's um, kind of like suggested reading. The truth is that Kalas don't have a lot of time. The time that they come into your classroom, so to speak, wherever the space is, that's your time. And you are teaching them how to ride a bicycle when they've never even seen a bicycle and they're sitting in a chair. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a crazy thing. And then when they, I always tell Kala's and I'm sure Chai does the same, reread your notes the first few cycles, reread the book the first few cycles, because now you know what a bicycle looks like, you know what a bicycle feels like, you are literally riding the bicycle, and now you can say, oh, here's how I take care of my bicycle. So it, it's like a totally abstract concept. So no matter how much reading you are doing, until you're doing it, you're not doing it. Got it. Chai, you mentioned how sometimes the woman will say a comment, like they'll sigh in the mikvah and then you'll say, okay, I'll speak to you. Do you ever pull over a woman yourself? If you notice unusual tendencies? No, 
really not. Um, we are very, in my mikvah, we are really, really careful about that. If a woman will say something like, this is really, really hard for me. I can't do this anymore. This is too stressful. Then I'll say, would you like some help? I'm happy to meet with you at my house and go through the process with you. But if she doesn't say anything, then I won't say anything. But often I do have the opportunity if somebody says something more than a sigh. So just a little bit more like, this is so hard. I can't, I can't do this anymore. This is just getting more and more difficult. Then I'll offer help, but just offer gently. And that's all. That's all. And it's a woman, it's a woman's prerogative if she wants to take me up on the offer or not. I can't do more than that. Yeah, Risky, I love the bike riding analogy, by the way. Yeah. And I'm going to put that into my notes. I'm going to add that <laughs> to my notes. Thank you. <laughs> all my colleagues get this bike riding analogy because I, I want to reassure them that it's okay, that it's overwhelming um, because it's just this like, oh, is that what you were doing? You were writing it down? Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. Um, very cute. Well, I'm very flattered, Chai. Um, I had one other question I wanted to ask you. So um, I think Sarah asked a very important question that goes together with like the sensitivity training that we want our college, our mikvah attendants to have, right? To not overstep the boundaries and make sure that when a woman comes into the mikvah, she's really able to feel safe in this space. Um, but what if as a mikvah attendant, you notice signs that might um, be linked to maybe like abuse or, you know, some red flags are flashing at you. Would you, um, say something then, or how would you approach such a situation? So this is a topic we constantly talk about. And, uh, Carly Hadash and I have been speaking about recently because we're preparing some kind of content for directors to train attendants. And so, we would rarely, rarely, rarely say something unless we see something very, very obvious and clear. So honestly, at my mikvah in my 16 years, I've never seen anything like that. Um, but we have to be careful about assumptions that we make. So I know some mikvah attendants will say, if I see um, marks on a woman's back, but the marks could be the woman's trying to scrub her back probably too intensely. And there are scratches, big scratches on her back because she's been trying to scrub her back. So we don't necessarily know. We do go with the assumption that that women are not in danger. If we, if we would see somebody who seems like they're in physical danger, and for sure, if a woman would say, I don't feel safe going home, then we would definitely help her out and point her in the right direction. We have phone numbers of who to call and uh, she can call a rav and while she's in the safety of our mikvah, but generally we wouldn't say anything. Um, if a woman's crying, for example, at the mikvah, we just hold the space for her to cry. And we just gently say, is there anything I can help you with? Or how can I be here for you or something like that? But we don't make assumptions. Um, even if we see something that worries us. And, you know, red flags is a big category. Like there could be red flags about terrible anxiety or red flags about other things, maybe relationship issues, but we really can't make assumptions. Also, like somebody could be crying in the mikvah, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that something terrible is going on. You know, a woman was crying in the mikvah recently and she told me her brother is very, very sick. 
I think most of us would think, uh oh, she's crying, like there's something terrible going on in her marriage, but that's not necessarily the case. So we tread very carefully. We really want to make sure we're not um, making assumptions and offending women by making those assumptions. I love that. But I also want to point out that if somebody who's listening does feel unsafe, the mikvah is the perfect opportunity. There's only women there um, and the mikvah attendants are trained to help. So if you do feel unsafe, this is a great opportunity to reach out for help in a safe space. Right. I just want to add to that. Thank you. I want to add to that, that um, hopefully every mikvah has in each prep room, some kind of laminated card or some kind of phone number for a local or a national organization that helps women who are suffering from domestic from domestic abuse. So you could, there's a phone number and you can call. And if a woman is geared to call from home, she can call from right there. Hi, can we go back to the challenges of mikvah associated with mikvah? You mentioned the, the, the first one, which is quite broad in general, the anxiety because of all the minutia and the details. I was thinking about a family member that I know that is a male that has this for kashras. Very interesting. He always says, I, I put something down in the wrong counter and I'm like, yeah, but it's cold. It's okay. Right. So, so, so because we, we are surrounded with lots of details, people can struggle with that, uh, getting, you know, lost in the details and the anxiety that that brings with, but I'm sure that there are many other challenges, very specific to mitzvah to the mitzvah of mikvah. Can you share those with us? Sure. And I was actually going to ask you if we can go through some of those because you had asked the question and then we sort of got sidetracked to important things, but we did. So some of the common challenges are uh, women who are trying to prepare at home. And it's hard for them to prepare at home. There are kids banging on the door and there's a baby screaming and kids running all over the house. And maybe you don't have a bathtub in your bedroom and it's just not conducive to a calm and stress-free preparation. So the easy way to the easy advice is just prepare at the mikvah. So just leave your house, go to the mikvah, do everything there. No one's bothering you. No one's banging on your door. You don't hear any kids crying and you could just prepare calmly there. A lot of women tell me they prefer to prepare at home. Um, that's great. I don't really understand. To me, I never want to prepare at home. I just want to prepare at the mikvah. I'm also thinking like, I don't have to clean my bathtub before or after. I don't have to get my own towel. I don't have to do anything. I just go, the room's ready for me and it's all good. Um, but the fact is there are women who want to prepare at home, but I urge you to think of preparing, doing all your preparation at the mikvah that might cause less stress. Um, and connected to that, there are women who um, have a hard time getting out of the house at night. That's hard for them. So they say like, I'm just going to prepare at home and I'm just going to run to the mikvah and come home and I'll be back in 20 minutes. So I just want to say about that, that I really think that every woman should be able to leave her house for an hour or an hour and a half, once a month and more. So it's, it's hard for me to, to understand how people get themselves into that situation in the first place where they tell me they can't leave for an hour or an hour and a half once a month, which is why um, when I teach Kala's, I say, now that you don't have children yet, I want you to start from the beginning, from the minute you have children, make this part of your routine. You get out of the house so that you don't get yourself suddenly into this situation where you can't ever leave the house. So that's another challenge that I love it. Rifki, you um, and I are going for drinks. <laughs> 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 I, 
or even a walk around the block. Um, no, I, I go out at night, but like, I, I totally understand what she's saying, where you fall into the rut of like childcare and homework. And then by the time you're done, you're actually done. Like you're emotionally, physically like done. So prioritizing like the space to go to a share, to go to, you know, a walk, even if I think hi, correct me if I'm wrong. I think even if it's with a kid, right? Like if you take one child, it's still like ha, huh, a breather um, to go out. For sure. I think, yeah, I think that's a big thing. Yeah. But I don't think COVID helped with this at all because we got <laughs> used to staying home. We really did. We got used to, you know, just sort of wearing our pajamas at night and not, and not putting forth the effort. But there's being home and being home, right? You can have alone time at home. And I think that's really also what I think. Like, mm-hmm. take the time that your family will survive without you for that hour. You need to go, you know, to your room for, you know, sometimes we just need a space, you know, you need to go to the room to regroup, have the ability to do that. You need to do right. work for an hour, have the ability to just disconnect from right. that in a healthy manner, right? Obviously, you're not dumping your kids and neglecting them. Have the infrastructure to support those type of things. Exactly. And not only on mikvah night, right? Just exactly. regular under on some kind of regular basis. Exactly. Another challenge, um, fear of water. A lot of women are scared of immersing their head underwater. And I'll tell women, even if this has been the case for many years, you could still take care of this. And there are women in different communities who will help women accustom themselves to putting their heads underwater. So don't just walk around saying, oh, this has been the case for many years. I'm just going to continue doing this. Like, take care of that. You can. You actually can learn how to not be afraid of water. Um, Actually, I learned how to swim in my 30s. I was petrified of water. I took swimming lessons in my 30s and I actually learned how to breathe and how to expel water from my nose. And then I was like, oh, wow, look at this. I don't have to cough and sputter and choke. And um, it, going to the mikvah is not a problem. I could, my minog is to title seven times and I can title 20 times without choking and I'm not scared of uh, water. So I'm a good example of that because I, I learned how to swim in my 30s. Um, and Hari, another- I want to jump in and say that all that a woman needs to learn how to do is to breathe really right more than swimming. Swimming might seem daunting so they could practice in their bathtub if they don't have a pool in their community um, with somebody who could help them shout out, by the way, I live in Toronto and I, I am a swim instructor and I love helping adult women learn how to submerge their face, but it's, we could do it in a bowl of chicken soup. Honestly, that's true. That would be a little weird in a bowl of chicken soup, but yes, (laughs) good, good, good line. Um, exhaustion is another challenge that women have. They're exhausted. It's the end of the day. They've been working. They've been taking care of kids. They had to put dinner on the table. They have laundry, all these things women have to do. And then it's like, really, are you serious? I actually have to go and prepare now in a mikvah and title. So what I want to say about that is try to, instead of thinking of preparation for mikvah as like a job I have to do, just think of it as I'm going to sit in a bath and relax and veg and do nothing. Maybe read a book, maybe listen to a podcast, maybe text, something like that. And then I'll shower and just make sure that I'm clean and that's all. So try to look at it as an opportunity for relaxation as opposed to, oh, I have to do this tremendous job of preparing for the mikvah because it's not a tremendous job. Um, Another challenge is um, that women face when going to the mikvah is they may not be happy about 
this whole mitzvah, they may be having a challenging time in their marriage. They may be having intimacy issues. So maybe they're not stressing about the actual preparation, but they're just stressed about mikvah in general because of what happens after mikvah. As we all know, you're not just going to the mikvah. Mikvah is very connected with your physical relationship with your husband, with intimacy. So this is discussion for a different podcast, but basically get help for this. Like, don't just say, I'm going to the mikvah. I hate going to the mikvah. I hate what comes afterwards. And that's just the way it's going to be. So couples who are having issues should really try to get help for this because this should be a beautiful area of your life if it's not. I love that. And I think it's so important. Um, I will say one thing. I know that you mentioned it being daunting to like go into the bath and scrub, whatever. There's two things that I think help. And I, I, don't remember. I think you mentioned this. One of the things that um, I think helps is going for a manicure and pedicure earlier in the day, obviously without polish. So that's like, oh, I checked it off my list. That big thing, which is nails is done. Also, I wanted to point out that taking a bath at the end of a long day when you're touched out by your kids and you know, you're emotionally drained is reconnecting to yourself also. So having that element of like, who now I can let go of everything and I can reconnect to who I am. And then I re-enter into a space um, is huge, right? So we can also utilize that in what we're doing in our mikvah preparation, which is so fabulous. I, I love when like, even the things that may not have been the reason Tyra set it up that way, but it really like, it works so well. Like it just is fabulous. Um, the bath doesn't have to be for long, correct? Like for a woman right. who don't like to yeah. take a bath. That's, that's a common myth, right? The half hour bath. I've right. even seen it on like walls and mikvahs. And I'm like, um, can we talk about this? That is not a thing. A half hour. Right. There's no time limit on the bath. Like that's not. Right. Yes, that's very, this is like a big one. That's a very common myth. So I happen to love taking a bath and I'll sit in the bath for like 30, 40 minutes and do nothing. I'm super happy to be that, to do that. However, the reality is there are very many women who hate taking baths, hate, hate, hate taking baths. And actually some women feel claustrophobic in a bathtub. They really don't like it. So, right. So there's actually no required minimum amount of time to take a bath. That's a myth that a lot of us were taught. And when I was trained to be a college teacher, Tim, 11 years ago by Robin Nyman, when we got up to the Hafifa part, she said, okay, you ready for something earth shattering? So I said, what? And she told me this. I was like, what? I can't believe it. Like what happened? So this is something that was told to talk to all women practically. And, um, but now we know that that's not true. So it's a suggested time is 20 minutes. And just to be clear, the reason we bathe is that anything that's hardened on our skin um, will become softened by sitting in a bath. And that's basically the, pur- the halachic purpose of the bath. So it, something that could be a chatzitza, a barrier to the water, is no longer a barrier once it's been soaked in water. So that's I need, I need to bath. hear this like a lot because I do not like taking baths. I get dizzy when I take baths. And I was also on like a newlywed Kala thinking I needed to take this long bath. And I was like, how am I going to sit in this bath? I'm going to get dizzy. So I used to like do everything in the bath. Like for, I was like, I know how I'll, I'll won't focus on being dizzy in a bath. I'll just do all my preparations as I'm sitting there. And I'm so happy that like now that <laughs> it's been busted, I can just hop in and out. That's great. Rifki, I want to go back to what you said about getting a manicure and pedicure and then going back the next day for um, nail polish. I do that personally and I love it. 
And then, so when I'm doing my preparation, my fingernails and my toenails are done. And next day I'm getting um, nail polish put on and that's a win-win situation. Although some people don't like manicures and pedicures, so they shouldn't do that, but that's just a great um, suggestion. And it's a nice way to take care of yourself and treat yourself to something nice. So actually this suggestion was given to, to me from Rabbi Farkash, which by the way, Tyra values um, us taking care of ourselves and feeling good about our mitzvah. So I just want to plug in that this actually came from a rev. Um, I have a question for you. In Crown Heights, we're very lucky. We have absolutely gorgeous mikvahs. Like they are spa-like, they're soft music. I just did a mikvah tour for um, a program we're running through mikvah.org. There's music, there's candles. It's like the fanciest spa that you can go to. But I know that there are people like in Ancestral or in other communities who um, may have simpler mikvahs, which is okay, but maybe even less than simpler mikvahs. Um, and I wonder what we tell women who are going to mikvahs. You know, there's so much emphasis like, oh, mikvah's like a spa, you've got a day to recharge. Uh, but what if it isn't like a spa? What if it isn't the time to recharge? What if you're not like enjoying the physical aspect? Like you might be enjoying the spiritual aspect and you may have no difficulty with that, but then like the physical portion, like is a struggle. What do you tell women who are going through that? So I'm actually not a big fan of calling it a spa because <laughs> honestly, it's not a spa. Like if somebody wants to go to a spa, they're not going to go to a mikvah. They're going to go to a spa, right? So I'm with I do, you, Chai. I'm with you. <laughs> I do believe in mikvahs being um, beautiful, although not over the top. And I believe in mikvahs having spotlessly clean facilities. I would say that is the most important thing. Like I don't want to sit in a bathtub and find somebody else's hair from before because that's just gross. So, um, but I, I don't, when I teach kalas, I don't say it's a spa. And I just basically say the fact is that you're doing a mitzvah by immersing in a mikvah and that's what you're going to the mikvah for and I don't want to talk about it as a spa and I also don't want to talk about it as in terms of like romanticizing it I also don't want to project upon women and say you are going to feel super super spiritual when you're on the water when you're on the mikvah building because the fact is that not everybody does feel that way so I can't assume somebody else's feelings. Um, Rivka Slanim, Rebetzin Rivka Slanim, who I love, she says, um, how are you going to feel when you go to the mikvah? You'll probably just feel wet. And I love <laughs> that because we know for sure that we know for sure you're going to feel wet, right? So um, you're, the spa thing, it doesn't speak to me so much, let's just say. But right. you're, doing so mitzvah, you're traveling in the mikvah and you're good. Right. So I think that a very big um, focus has to like be going back to the fact that we're doing this for Hashem. It's a hike. I mean, is a hike. When we start giving our explanations from our limited understanding or bringing science to back up what we're doing, we kind of limit this great power. And hike is something that like Hashem gave us. It's to bring Hashem's unlimited light into our very limited world. We don't have the capacity to understand un unlimited light. So we sometimes have to say, Hashem, I would love the unlimited light. I don't understand it. And I'm going to do it because I want to connect to you on that really deep, powerful level. And yes, like you said, all you're going to feel sometimes is wet, but you have not gotten less of a light by just feeling wet. You have not gotten less of spirituality and, and that portion of Shekhinah into your home by not by struggling with this mitzvah. Um, you have still connected to limitlessness. Is that a word? I think so. Limitlessness. 
Yes. I have so enjoyed hearing uh, your take on this, Chaya. I think you come from a very unique vantage view or vantage point of being a director of a mikvah, being involved in the day-to-day by being an actual mikvah attendant, by by teaching kalas, especially the complex area of remarriages. I think you you bring to the table a lot of insight. Can you share with our listeners? I know I just did like a big sigh because our conversation is coming to an end, but can you share with our listeners a practical piece of advice? I think for both ends, for the mikvah attendants, as well as the mikvah goers. Um, Sure. So for women going to the mikvah, um, I would say try to make the day that you're going to the mikvah as simple as possible. Like don't do anything extra. Don't book appointments. Don't make any fancy dinners. Don't start like a whole reorganizing of your house project. Just a simple, simple day. Try to get everything done early. If you can try to rest. I know that's sort of funny. Like who has time to rest during the day, but even a cat nap, a short nap, just so that you can not be exhausted. Um, also, obviously, I, like I said, overdoing your hafifa, So make sure you know the halachas. And also, again, try to take advantage of this one hour or one hour plus where you could just take time for yourself. This is just time for yourself that you're that doesn't involve anybody else. So for most women, this may require like a huge shift of mindset, but it is doable. So if you're mindful about it, you say, you know what, I've been doing this and this for many years, I'm going to change the way I do things. I'm going to flip it around and make it a little bit different. Try it. You it may become very different for you. And you may be surprised that you could possibly like it. And for attendants, for staff, I would say that it's important to understand that in reality, many women are stressed about the mikvah and about Tahar Samashbacha in general, possibly. The truth is it's stressful for people. And as much as you would like to, as a staff person, you can't take away that stress. It's worse to take away. What you can do, though, is be calm and respectful and non-judgmental. And if a woman verbally expresses her stress, you would just validate without offering advice. Just validation is a really important piece. Like if somebody says, oh, this is so stressful. So an attendant can just say, it is, it really is. Not a long paragraph, not a bunch of sentences, just plain, simple validation. I find that's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Chai. I think it's time to wrap up our conversation. Chai, this has been so, so fascinating to listen to. Thank you again for sharing of your time, your energy, your insight. I know you're off now for an hour walk to work and you do this in the winter and the summer. And I am totally wowed by that. Um, you're, you're a real Canadian and I, I feel like affinity. <laughs> I, I am a Canadian. <laughs> um, do, we have, do we have time for one more thing really fast? Sure. Okay, great. So um, something that I would love to see uh, in McVos and slowly it's changing, but I would love to see McVos do this all over is for attendants to understand that the responsibility for a woman to check herself, in other words, to visually check herself and make sure she has no chatzitas on her body is the woman's responsibility. So it's not the attendant's responsibility. Now, in some mikvahos, it's standard that the attendant will come into the room or the attendant will check the woman's body. Um, A lot of women don't like it. A lot of women are okay with it, but some women really don't like it. They feel it's an invasion of their privacy and they say, 
I can do this myself. I'm perfectly capable of checking myself. There's a full length mirror. I can just glance over my body myself. So I would love if mikvahs would consider changing their policies if it's their policy indeed that they have to check women because a lot of women dread going to the mikvah just because of that piece. So in a perfect world, I think um, attendants would give women the choice and would say, is there anything you would like for me to check? And if a woman says yes, then they check. And if a woman says, no, thank you, I'm good. I checked myself and I did it properly. Then that's okay. It's a woman's choice. So I would love to see that. So that actually happens in Crown Heights. We don't do that anymore. It used to be when I got married, everyone, like, let me check your, it was like a statement. Let me check your back, your nails and your toenails. Um, And then women spoke up and said, you know, this is making us uncomfortable. And then Rabbanim were consulted in the process of like, let's that is that really a halachic necessity or can we you know offer it as a choice it is important though that we do offer it as a choice in case women do want it because they're not going to ask for it so i think the balance is not taking it off the table uh, you know altogether but offering it as a choice hi for me personally this was such a treat because I got to meet my whatsapp buddy in real life well however real this is and this was so so nice uh, we're going to have to do coffee one day though, or something, whatever you, your, your tea, whatever your, I can't do an hour walk, but we can like, we will meet up. That's um, great. I like would love that. A treat. I would um, love it. Thank you so much. Thank There's you. so much more to say, but yeah. yes, we do have to end. Um, we have you. a secret project. We haven't told Chai yet. Um, I actually texted you a middle, but the, stay tuned. The, we, this is not the last you're going to hear or see of Chai. Um, so as we wrap up, I just want to tell Chai, thank you so much. I think that there were so many pieces of wisdom um, that are here that are shared, not just to um, the ladies, but to the mikvah attendants and to the mikvah managers and to all the people in our lives. And I really, really want to thank you so, so much for joining us. This was so meaningful and practical um, and such a treat for all of us. And I'm sure everyone is walking away having learned and gained and grown in some sort of way. I know I have. I'm not saying an hour and a half anymore. So thank you, Chai. Thank you, both of you. This was great. This was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazen David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you.